Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. May the Lord keep us from any type of unforgiveness or unresolved anger or worse yet, bitterness because it won't end well. It won't end well not walking in the forgiveness that the Lord has so freely given us. We begin to think of what God has forgiven us for. We begin to think of what God is forgiving us for. And we begin to think of, man, what's still yet in the future? That God will extend his forgiveness to us by his the blood of Jesus Christ. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. It's been well said that to err is human and to forgive is divine. But it's also been said that an unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground, and before long it becomes the Christian's battleground. Welcome to Abounding Grace. We're about to continue our study of 2 Samuel as we take a look at chapter 15 today and Absalom's manipulative rebellion. We'll learn, among other things, why we're to forgive rather than harbor bitterness. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. 2 Samuel chapter 15, a chapter where our attention is on Absalom, David's son. We find Absalom actively and very effectively subverting his own dad and coming against God in seeking to overtake the kingdom of Israel. Make no mistake about it, no matter how good Absalom looks on the outside, no matter how many people follow him or follow his lead, no matter how smooth his words are, or even in a practical sense, how much his decisions might make some kind of sense to people, he is walking evil in this stage of his life, wrapped up in a nice-looking package. And before you say, wait a minute, Ed, those are pretty strong words to give toward Absalom like he's walking evil. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, in verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So many years later, Jesus describing the religious rulers of the day as being exactly what Absalom is so many years earlier in chapter 15. So pick up with me, as we've seen some of this already, so some of it will be review. After this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was, whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? 
And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Verse 3. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has a suit or cause would come to me, and I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to him, to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Make no mistake about it, Absalom's goal is to steal the hearts of the people after himself. We know that so much so that the Bible is clear. The Holy Spirit wants us to understand that this is how he fulfilled his desire of stealing the hearts of people. Now Absalom, being the oldest son, was the true heir to the throne. But somewhere along the way, in his growing bitterness of some of the things that we've looked at in previous studies, he decided that he wasn't going to wait for his dad to die, but rather take full advantage of his charisma and his ability to talk. And this is a calculated, these steps in the first six verses are very calculated. Number one, he begins traveling around with these chariots and horses and a whole entourage, giving him the appearance of being very king-like, where, where you would see him in such a way and go, I could see him being king. Subtle and yet very powerful. Secondly, because David is very much actively overseeing the kingdom in his particular role, Absalom, in a very conniving way, goes to the people and invites people to come to him for matters and decisions. It would almost be as if he was saying, oh, my, you know, my dad and all, they're far too busy for you, which would then translate, they don't really care about you, which ends up being, but I do, so how can I help? Thirdly, with such fake sincerity, Absalom declares, oh, that I would be made a judge, planting that seed in their hearts. Oh, if you know, if I was in control, if I was in charge here, if this was my kingdom, we would do it this way, but you know it's not my kingdom. And so we just have to do it this way. Finally, when the people began to show him almost worship-like attention, kissing him and bowing down to him, he encouraged it and fed it. Literally, the Bible describes his actions as not good, not godly, and not from the Lord in any way whatsoever. From heaven's perspective, Absalom is in sin, even though... So many around him, from earth's perspective, seems like he's just fine. A helpful son. He's praised and elevated and desired by those on the earth. And yet, it's very clear at the end of verse 6 that this is a man stealing their hearts. Stealing their hearts from David as king and the leadership there, but also stealing their hearts from God. Wanting their praise and attention that only belongs to God. Last time, this is where we paused, you'll recall, and studied the spiritual manifestation, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives uh, with the gift of discerning of spirits, the difference to know the difference between good and evil, specifically as it relates to teaching and what's being said from someone. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to pick that up. Uh, it's on our app, and the CDs are downstairs. Now, verse 7. It came to pass... After 40 years that Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I vowed to the Lord. For your servant vowed a vow 
while I dwelt in Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. And he arose and went to Hebron. Now, the first thing I want to point out to you in verse 7 is that that number 40 is most likely absolutely a copyist error. Uh, it should be four. In some man, most manuscripts, it's four. In the ones here, it's listed as 40, but it's actually just four. Four years have passed. And Absalom's rapid success at influencing the minds and the hearts of the people actually speak to us of a type of a coming rule, world leader known as the Antichrist, who's going to so quickly win the hearts of those that are on the earth during that time. You know, really... At the very beginning of the Great Tribulation period, he signs a covenant with the nation of Israel and brings some kind of pseudo-peace to the world during that time. And he just wins the world over at a time where the rapture causes such a cataclysmic change on the earth. And people are looking for hope and looking for help. You can jot it down in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 3, John writes, I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. It's an amazing Study as you, I know some of you men are, some of you men that are in the men's study on Saturdays are going through the study of Revelation. And there'll be such widespread deception that even Israel will agree to it to serve their own purposes. Now, here in verse 7, though, with Absalom, continue to watch his steps of gaining the hearts of the people. Very calculated, which evil often is. Absalom has been lying to the people, and he takes the next step and lies to his dad. But why does he need to lie to his dad? Because we looked at previously, if that was his desire was really to reconcile, if his desire was really to make things right, then there'd be no deception, there'd be none of this manipulation. And there certainly wouldn't be this lie. The purpose of his lies is to continue the manipulation, continue to draw people after himself. He's manipulating now his own dad. Let me show you why. Number one... With his dad agreeing to these requests, anybody that asks, he could say, my dad gave me permission. Which his dad doesn't see any of this. Think of his dad, but also think of his as the king. He doesn't see any of this yet. It hasn't been revealed to him. He, he's heartbroken, David is, over the separation with his son. He's heartbroken with the reality of what's happening in his family. He's suffering the consequences of forgiven sin. And I don't think he is at his spiritually strongest. I don't think he's at the cutting edge of his life. Very prone to being taken advantage of. And now by asking his dad and lying to him, he could say his dad said yes. Not only that, but secondly, with his dad's permission or seemingly permission, he would have the way prepared for him so that people wouldn't fear him in these greater steps that he's going to take. Thirdly, it gives him credibility with hundreds of people in David's administration, the guys that are serving with David, the guys that are noticing the weakness in David's life, the guys that have been serving with him for quite a while. And now Absalom's going to need the cooperation of at least some of them 
And this would give him some credibility that he doesn't have. And then finally, there's a spiritual twist to this, as often evil has. And because this feast was connecting to fulfilling a vow to God, then Absalom, in rank rebellious sin, could appear to be very spiritual. Well, look at him. He's fulfilling a vow. Look at him. He's submitting to his dad. Look at him. He's keeping his vows to the Lord. This is the same guy, just a few verses, where his hands are being extended and he would take him and kiss him as they're bowing down to him. Notice verse 10. Then Absalom, the very righteous man, sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went with 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited, and they went along innocently and did not know anything, very much like David. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor from his city, namely from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Now remember David, he ruled in Hebron for the first seven years of his kingship. So Hebron has a very close uh, relationship, not only with the family, but also with Absalom. It's Absalom's hometown. And this is the place where he announces his leadership. And it's working, according to verse 12, because Absalom continually increased in number as his conspiracy grew strong. This was a bold strategic move on his part. As he's taking these steps where not only does he declare himself, it's the, I think there, there's time going on here, of course, travel time and preparation time. But here he is declaring himself to be king with all these people here that are innocently following him. But don't miss, verse 12, as Absalom sent for Ahithophel. Ahithophel was David's close confidant, his counselor. David would describe that sharing. They would share sweet counsel together. It would be as if someone went after your absolute best friend and tried to turn them against you. That's what Absalom is doing here. It's not enough that he lies. It's not enough that he's messing around with people's lives. And me- it's not enough that he lies to his dad. It's not enough. He, he wants to bring, not enough to bring all these innocent people into it, but now he wants Ahithophel. And he knew his dad valued. I mean, it was a, that was a blow to the heart of his own dad. Straight to the heart. Going after his best friend. And I know that Absalom knew his dad valued Ahithophel's counsel and friendship. Even after his sin, David's sin with Bathsheba. There had the appearance with Ahithophel that things were okay or getting better. You had, why, why does that make a difference, Ed? Why do you bring Bathsheba into this? Well, Ahithophel is related to Bathsheba. Ahithophel just wasn't David's right-hand guy in spiritual matters, sharing sweet counsel together. He was also the grandfather of Bathsheba. And the sin that David committed against Bathsheba was also a sin toward Ahithophel. Ahithophel knew of the great injustice that had taken place by David. And this was another weakness that Absalom... I mean, Absalom becomes a type of the enemy here. 
walking evil personified, taking advantage of all the weak areas in our lives, looking for an open door, looking for a way to get in. That's why we have enough weaknesses in our own lives, guys, that we don't have to open the door for the enemy ourselves. We don't have to open the door whether, as J. Vernon McGee used to say on the radio, he'd say the eye gate or the ear gate. How careful we need to guard our eyes. We don't need to give the enemy any kind of open door in our lives that our weakness of our humanity already does. We need to be so careful of what we listen to, what we watch, where we go with our feet. Those feet, by the way, as we're getting up in the morning in the spiritual armor of the feet that are shod with the gospel of peace, the good news. We don't want to give the enemy any opportunity as we're mulling over things in our minds and not committing them to the Lord. Ahithophel, Ahithophel, I believe, the text doesn't really say, but considering all of the pieces together, whether this is absolutely true for Ahithophel or it's an extension and application for us that is absolutely true, I believe that it's very important for us to walk in forgiveness. A lack of forgiveness in our lives is diabolically dangerous. It puts us into the hands of the enemy in our lives, prone to being taken advantage of as Ahithophel is here. Now, I'm certainly not removing his responsibility of his own decisions, but not fully forgiving David for what happened with Bathsheba, his granddaughter, no doubt led to this opportunity. When we walk in unforgiveness, we allow bitterness to take root in our hearts and our minds and our souls. As we've learned in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Why don't you turn there? We haven't turned at all. Turn with me to Hebrews all the way to the back so you can see this in your own Bibles. Hebrews chapter 12. If you haven't already marked this, you haven't already memorized it, it would be certainly good for you to do. Forgiveness is so vital in the life of the believer. Walking in forgiveness, extending forgiveness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Here it is in the New Living Translation, if you have that open. Try to live in peace with everyone and seek to live a clean and holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you will miss out on the special favor of God. And watch out that no bitter root of unbelief rises up among you. For whenever it springs up, many are corrupted by its poison. Somewhere along the way, Ahithophel didn't forgive and allowed his anger to turn into resentment, and his resentment turned into bitterness, and bitterness took a root, and he was ready at the first opportunity. It's too bad that verse 12 says, doesn't say Absalom sent for Ahithophel, and Ahithophel said no. Unforgiveness will put you in a weakened state, in a weakened state spiritually, and open us to so many things. It always leads to destruction. Turn over to Psalm 55 now. Psalm 55. Looking back on this very situation, as David is contemplating it, worshiping the Lord through writing his psalms, notice what he says in Psalm 55, verse 11. Psalm 55, verse 11. 
He says, destruction is in its midst. Deceit and guile do not depart from its streets. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me that has magnified himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. If you're writing, like to write notes in your Bible, cross-references, he's talking about Ahithophel here as he's looking back on this difficult time in his life. May the Lord keep us from any type of unforgiveness or unresolved anger or worse yet, bitterness because it won't end well. It won't end well not walking in the forgiveness that the Lord has so freely given us. We begin to think of what God has forgiven us for. We begin to think of what God is forgiving us for. And we begin to think of, man, what's still yet in the future? That God will extend his forgiveness to us by his, the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is just a sad state here. It's a successful coup. And it says, notice verse 13, And a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And so David said to all his servants who were there at, with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. And then the king went out with all of his household after him. But the king left ten women concubines to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all the servants passed before him and all the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and all the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. By the way, verse 18 is an encouraging verse because these 600 guys, you remember, are the ones that were all discouraged, all in debt. They, they are the ones that came to him and were looking for a leader. And now here he is many years later and all that he went through and they're still there. They're still with him. And the king, notice verse 19, said to Ittai the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king. For you're a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go? I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. And Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, Surely in whatever place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or life, there also shall your servant be. And so David said to Ittai, Go and cross over. Then Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him went over. Ittai is a, is a man that is worthy of being emulated. His loyalty and commitment to David is something that's very sweet. He stood by David, even if it meant he would lose his own life. Wherever you go, David, I'm with you. I don't care if you don't know where you're going. I just want to go with you. What an admirable quality there. And God help us to be such loyal, committed people. This is Abounding Grace, and you're listening to a message from pastor and Bible teacher Ed Taylor. Simply go online to hear it again at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're at AboundingGraceRadio.com. 
Our podcast is available on most of the major platforms like Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and Google. Search for Ed Taylor to start downloading our podcast today. And if you haven't already, download our free app. Again, just search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. This is a great way to take in a steady dose of God's Word. Here in the month of June, we've picked out an excellent book written by Chuck Smith called Faith. As the title would suggest, this book is all about faith and the key to a successful Christian life. Pastor Chuck explains how faith takes you by the hand and walks you from one level of maturity to another. Using examples from the Bible and illustrations he's gleaned from the ministry, Pastor Chuck lays out a strong case for faith. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Just call us, 877-30-GRACE, and ask for faith. Again, 877-30-GRACE. Or you can get it through our e-store at calvaryco.store. And don't miss our next study in 2 Samuel. It's going to be a good one. That's here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And may God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado and online at AboundingGraceRadio.com.